Draft season is winding down, so in today's episode, we discuss our leagues, drafts, and strategies heading into opening day. We also share our interview with Pirates reporter Alan Saunders. That's today on Fastball Fantasy Baseball. This is Fastball Fantasy Baseball with Taylor Tarter and Matt Kerr. Let's get into it. All right, so let's get right into it. You and I just wrapped up a draft last night. Uh, it was our first time using fan tracks. And this, our league, this draft was my fourth and final one. And this is the first time I've done this many leagues in a while. Um, and so <laughs> I figured let's talk about that draft first. So get, to give a little background to listeners, this is a 12-team points league. And each year we increase one keeper. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Because this is my second year in the league, so I'm still figuring some yeah. stuff out. So we're up to nine keepers this year. And then it's like most points leagues, it values walks, takes away points for strikeouts. But something that's different, it, it, you get an extra point for stolen bases, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's do, correct. Do we have any other like quirky, quirky things in there? We give two points for a hold. Uh, we just thought as as baseball continues to evolve and it's closer by committee you really just you couldn't it was harder to nail down a, a bona fide no doubt about it closer for each team so uh, we thought it would be important to include holds like in some way shape or fashion um so yeah two points for that uh, and then really outside of that it, it's a pretty it's pretty standard negative two for uh earned runs by pitchers and then it's just one point per base um for hitters uh, yeah, pretty standard outside of that. And, you know, the, we say it's a keeper league. It's really starting to get closer to a dynasty league, right? So mm-hmm. um, my keepers this year, I, I was borderline on Max Muncy because of the injury news. But as soon as they made the decision to go to a DH in the NL, I was like, all right, I'm on board with Muncy because now he doesn't have to worry about throwing. And they added Freeman, and that helps that out too. So it's like clear to me that Muncie should be the the DH. And then I also kept Albies, Arenado, Trevor Story, uh, Marcus Semien, Yu Darvish, Disclafani, Gossman, and Tyler Molly. Yeah, I, I mean, you inherited a pretty trash team last year, uh, and I like it. It's it's changed like. You know, we'll talk about this later, but like the way you managed a really bad team last year uh, really made me feel like the draft isn't as important as I always thought it was. Right. Um, but we'll we'll get we'll get into that later. Um, you know, th- this league is pretty great because when we started the league, everybody, nobody really had played fantasy baseball before. A couple guys had some experience, but. Um, you know, we wanted it, we wanted to slowly build into something. And that's why we started the tradition of just extending a keeper every year. Um, so yeah, we're in the 10th year of the league. Is this year 11, maybe? Um, I think it's year 11. Um, and, uh, I've, it's fun making moves for the future. Uh, and it's interesting watching different guys run their teams in different ways, uh, so what I have set up for myself, uh, keeper wise is, uh, I got Joe Ram who I've, I've rode so hard for, for a couple years now, Acuna, Wanda Franco, who I've spent a whole lot of <laughs> draft and roster capital on the last few years just to keep him around. 
Um, Xander Bogarts was a trade I made like seven years ago. So I've had him around for a really long time. Um, Shane Bieber, Aaron Nola, Logan Webb, Freddie Peralta, and then Alec Manoa uh, is how I rented out my, my pitching staff. And as, as you know, in points leagues, pitching is, is, is truly key. Yeah. That's a, that's a hefty pitching staff too. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be able to kind of enter into the draft and uh, just not have to worry about taking pitchers. Right. Um, So, you know, that was kind of part of the strategy going in here. You know, am I targeting a particular type of player? Uh, Yes. Yes. And no, Uh, you got to always kind of roll with the punches as, you know, you can have your, yourself a, a strategy going in and then it just goes out the walls, out the window, like within four picks. Right. Um, and that kind of happens every year. There's nothing you can do to prepare for it. <laughs> so, but three guys I knew that I absolutely had to have uh, were Will Smith, Jared Kalnick and uh, Luke Voigt. And um, Voigt, we haven't really talked about him too much given his, inj- inj- his uh, injury history. Um, but I've, I really... I really wanted to be able to buy into this guy because uh, since 22, if you look at it, he's played in 124 games. And in those games, he's got 33 homers. He's got a 15.4 degree launch angle and he smacks the ball. He, his heart, his hard hit rate is 45.5%. Um, and now he's in San Diego in that lineup. Yes, please. Uh, and in the 21st round too, I uh, was very, very happy to, to be able to, to pull that off. That was actually like my whole thing going into the draft was wait till the 20th round and, and pounce on uh, Luke Voigt. Yeah, uh, and he, I, I, he is going to do really well in that lineup as long as he stays healthy. Even, you know, you imagine they're going to DH him a little bit to probably keep him healthy, uh, but he should be playing most games at, at first base. He's clearly a better option than uh than uh, Hosmer there so and they were trying to trade Hosmer away so they obviously like Voight there so uh you know great pick solid pick yeah I, I was really yeah I really felt like you know that one's like really gonna pay off hopefully I don't know we'll see you, you know like like we say like you just never know what's gonna happen around here right um so some other th- things I wanted to address in the draft this year uh, that I didn't necessarily address last year was I, I needed closers. I just needed to find these guys that I believe were going to be the guy in each spot. Um, Cause I don't want to play this, this game where you pick up a guy and you hope he's the closer in like week four. And then, you know, you, you just get it wrong and then you never get the guy. Right. Uh, so I ended up with uh, Emmanuel class, a uh, Corey, Corey Knebel, uh, Scott Barlow and uh, Andrew Kittredge. Yeah, um, and so this is the exact opposite strategy that I took into this year because I essentially had Mark Melanson and then like nobody else last season, and I traded maybe in like June. I traded for uh, Alex Reyes and mm-hmm. rode him for a bit. It got Gallegos when he took over as closer and you know, it just kind of like made it work. I picked up a lot of guys to get holds at the end of the year. And that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at with, with strategy is let me see, I'm going to wait and see how things shake out, work the waiver wire. You you know, I'm, I'm one thing that I find is really important is to not get like tied to anybody. 
Mm-hmm. And that's something that I struggled with for a long time, especially in keeper leagues. You get like mm-hmm. attached to players because you're a fan or you've had them on your team for so long. And just like a real GM, you kind of have to like, you got to be okay with making sacrifices. And even if it's like a guy you really like, you got to let him go. And that's kind of the attitude that I have is like, no one on my team is off limits for a trade, for a a waiver claim, whatever, if it's going to make my team better. Mm -hmm. And, And that's kind of the attitude I have with relievers and with closers is, I'm it's so hard the draft capital you have to use to get a good closer right I'd rather get a player that's more locked into the position because closer is so volatile Mm -hmm. like even a guy like Josh Hader yeah he's really really good but he could blow his arm out this season in like May and then you wasted that like you know maybe 10th round or earlier pick mm-hmm. so that's that's just kind of my spiel on closers like I, yeah, I, no, I get I, it I get it people people will pay big time for closers and like lock down three of the top 10 closers and it works but that's mm-hmm. just not where I go yeah and I another reason why I, I've switched my mentality here is because you know, we get we get a little older and sometimes get a little life gets a little faster and maybe you don't necessarily have the, the time that I I once had to just dedicate to being the first guy on the waiver wire, you know, and, and picking up the getting the notification that there's a new closer from Closer Monkey. Right. And then just jumping up and getting it. I'm concerned I'm not going to be able to do that this year. Right. So I as much as that, that's kind of like some of the most fun aspects of fantasy baseball, I had to kind of prepare myself. Uh, to to not be able to do that, <laughs> unfortunately. So that was kind of the mentality for me going into it. Um, I do really like Kittredge uh, a lot in in Tampa. I know they've always had a carousel down there, um, but Fairbanks is out for a couple months. It sounds like so that's one guy gone, and he was Kittredge was so good. He was really um, good down the stretch. Yeah, and I rode him pretty hard down the stretch last year too. Um, we ain't, as you recall, we faced each other for like a day and a half in the, in the finals. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so we mm-hmm. both have pretty good years, you know, and I, yeah, I am, I'm approaching it a little differently. Um, so, but the other two guys that I really wanted, uh, number one being Jared Kelnick, um, big fan of him. Uh, I almost kept him, uh, instead of Alec Manoa. Um, but it, it was, it was really up until the day we were announcing basically for, for the whole offseason, I knew I was keeping Connick. Um, but it just kind of dawned on me in like, like that moment that uh, pitching is going to get drafted so fast mm-hmm. uh, and, and Kelnick has a stink on him, right? He, he was not very good last year. Um, so I'm, I ended up investing a 12th round pick in the guy um, where I could have kept him, I guess in the 20th round, last year but I mean it freed me up to get Manoa and now I had the option to you know kind of develop this slow dynasty league right I would love to be able to say I'm running out Acuna and Kelnick for like the next eight years right Uh, as long as I'm getting the September Kelnick and not the April to August Kelnick (laughs) Uh, so yeah that's a that's a bit of a it's, it's a bit of a risk um, but you know, 
it's fun. It's fun to play like this, you know. Um, the last guy I really, you know, I really needed to have Will Smith. I'm a huge Will Smith fan. Uh, the DH just screams to me that he's going to get more at bats than ever before. I know that they've got uh, plenty of guys that could DH in there, but I think the bat is so good that they're going to. He's just going to play his swing his way into the lineup majority. If he doesn't play in 145 games, I feel like I would be shocked. Um, so, you know, that that for me was what it was all about, getting those three guys. Um, I will say making the switch over to fan tracks was pretty big undertaking this year. I think uh, our league, we have a lot of guys who really want to contribute and uh, we're, we're lucky kind of to have such an active league. Um, it's always hard to move from a uh, from a site where everybody's gotten so comfortable with using mm-hmm. ESPN, right? Um, and there's these concerns that we, we when we make this move over, like what's going to go wrong, and like you got to get used to a new new platform, and things just are unfamiliar, right? But the league continues to grow, and Fantrax really provides you know more options to cater to our our growth and our needs. Um, so there's of course going to be hiccups, but I, I believe it'll be worth like, it. Like the website crashing last night. Oh man, what a miserable thing. Yeah. If, if anybody else out there was doing a draft yesterday and, and just experienced on like any platform. Yeah. Apparently it happened everywhere. Oh, was it everywhere? ESPN crashed. I think CBS crashed too. Uh, oh, well that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, but every, everything was crashing. me up saying, why we make this move? Fan track sucks. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, no. <laughs> this is the worst of, of all fears. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it was still fun. You know, drafts are always a good time. I think making the switch was a, was a big distraction, Ted, for me on draft day. Uh, it definitely wasn't the beers. No, it was. <laughs> um, I never really, like, found a groove, to be completely honest. Uh, the clock even ran out on me once, which is kind of embarrassing. But um, for that reason, I now have Tyler Glass now uh, sitting on my IL for the duration of the season, uh, hopefully to either, uh, you know, flip him at the deadline to a rebuilding team or uh, maybe it'll be me rebuilding and I have Glass now for next year. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I also had a hard time getting into the groove of the draft. It was, you know, it's a new platform. It's a different look. Uh, you know, just kind of different stuff to get used to. I wish I had taken the time to do like a mock draft on fan tracks. Yeah. But just not a lot of, not a lot of time to get it done. Yeah. But I, I almost had the clock run out on me uh, for my, I think it was my second pick where I picked Grisham and it was like a panic pick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting draft to say the least. Yeah, yeah. And I and like, you know, I referenced it before, but you like learning from you last year during your title run, right? You inherited a crap team uh, and you ended up only keeping eight guys from your original draft day roster, which is completely preposterous to me. Like, <laughs> And um, we keep eight players. We, we kept eight players last season. Yeah. And I traded some of them away. Yeah. And that really tells you, like, that really tells you my philosophy, right? Like, if if there is a way to make my team better at any point, I'm going to make my team better. 
yeah, you just do it, you know? And so ultimately it's the, the, the season is one on the waiver wire really. Right. Um, so it, it makes it easier to, to digest when you're, you're looking at your team post draft and you absolutely hate the roster that what you just done, like, why did I do this? <laughs> it's okay. Cause the, the season's one on the waiver wire. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. So Heading into our draft for me, like in a points league, I'm looking for batters, like high walk, low K batters, low strikeouts that score, that score runs and steal bases. Like those are my primary things. And so when I'm ranking players, that's what I'm looking at. I also went in with almost all of my infield filled with my keepers. I was kind of like the reverse of you. You, you had a lot of pitchers because of my work in the waiver wire so much, especially in the championship game, I kind of just like dropped pitchers to stream as much as I could for points. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I didn't have a ton of depth, like a ton of solid pitchers pitching depth to keep. And I also had very, very little pitching depth to keep the first when I took over the team. So yeah. I'm kind of like working my way from the ground up there. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas you've had some years to cultivate there yeah yeah so but that's the, kind of like the beauty of the right, points league right, right. Like you yeah can build it different ways right and they can all be effective which is why i love it it's my preferred my preferred way to play for sure yeah and and as far as pitching in a league like this i'm looking specifically for low walks high strikeouts so basically the reverse of what i'm looking for in hitters and i'm also looking for pitchers who historically win more than they lose because you get points deducted for losses and and i'll also look at projections too so i'm looking at like their whole the whole the whole context of the pitcher in terms of wins and losses also are they on a good team do they have a good offense you know getting them runs do they have a good defense behind them those are all things that get factored in when i'm looking at starting pitching and like we said before i'm trying to i, I wanted to wait on relief pitching, you know, pick up guys off waivers. And, you know, we said it was part of what won me the league. And I'm going to just, you know, roll with that strategy again. So uh, I picked Tyler O'Neill first. He's one of my favorite players this year. I have him in multiple leagues. I went, I, I, this is, I went Grisham with my next pick and that was the panic pick. Time was running down and I, I knew I wanted outfield I just wish I had taken him a little bit later mm -hmm. and I had no outfielders going into the draft. And so I knew that was going to be a priority yeah. uh, right away. And so O'Neill, big power, probably going to get like 15, 20 steals. We've talked about him before. I love him. Uh, Grisham potential 2020 guy. So I like that. Uh, I rounded out my outfield later in the draft with Hunter Renfro, who I have in multiple leagues, uh, Robbie Grossman, who I have in multiple leagues, and Max Kepler, who I have in multiple leagues. Mm -hmm. And all those guys are high walk, stolen base, except for Renfro, stolen bases. Um, so I feel like I have good balance there. I went with Yasmani Grandal as my catcher. He, you know, we talked about him before. He had yeah, the same... He had the same walk rate as Juan Soto. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, the, the problem is, is his strikeout rate is 
basically as high as his walkout rate from last year. So 22% walk rate, though, is pretty good. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, Yuli Gurriel, I got as my corner infielder. Loved him in points leagues. Like him less than Roto in category leagues because he really lacks power, but he does not strike out and he walks a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I picked up Tyler Meagill and Drew Rasmussen to add pitching, but those are two guys where probably after the first week or so, depending on how they're doing, I'll be ro- maybe even in the first week, I'll be rotating them out for streamers, especially if I'm losing. Uh, they're definitely my first cuts. Uh, and I'm also starting the season with guys like Loisaga and Christian Javier, who I think will be super valuable because of pitchers not being ready to, to be stretched out. I see those guys as getting a lot of like piggyback opportunities. Yeah. I like both those guys too. I, I do some, I really wanted LeMahieu in this league and I really wanted Ty France mm-hmm. in other leagues I would not want LeMahieu but he's just one of those guys who in a points league he's super valuable and he's got the positional flexibility yeah, he's all over the field Ty, Ty France I think is just going to go off this year mm-hmm. um so other than that uh you know other than those two guys and and maybe Trent Grisham I feel pretty good and mm-hmm. I feel like I really executed my strategy. I feel like I, I executed my strategy in all my leagues. I, I was, I, I, the only league I felt like I was, I could use a little more of something like I'm not that satisfied as my, my other home league, which we'll get to in a minute. So I did, I did two NFBC, two leagues on NFBC for the first time. I did the RotoWire online championship. That's the 12 team Roto weekly league. And so the, the thing with Roto is it's a totally different strategy. And, and yeah. even the weekly part, you have a totally different strategy. And so in Roto, I'm looking for way more balance just across the board. I want to fill up all the categories, whereas in like a points or a head to head categories league, I can like kind of cherry pick you know, what I want to target mm-hmm. as far as stats and like really hammer those home. And, but here I had to really get, you know, I had to get stuff across the board. <laughs> so I wanted high strikeout pitchers. I wanted to target guys that had opportunity. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard people on different fantasy podcasts say this before, but like opportunity is the number one thing you want in fantasy is, is players mm-hmm. with opportunity. So that's what kind of what I went for. So here's how my 12 team NFBC Rotowire online championship team looks for catchers. I have Elias Diaz, Luis Torrens and Gabriel Moreno. I picked him. I think he was my last pick, just kind of like a dart throw. You like Moreno. You took him in our, in our slow rookie draft too. Right. I, I think he, you know, they just, they just, traded away um what's his name jansen they, mm-hmm. they traded away somebody no reese mcguire they traded away him and i i don't think he's very far off from getting a call mm-hmm. uh f- at first base i have jose abreu ty france in this league and frankie bats frankie schwindel 
I got Ozzy Albies, Jazz, and Abraham Toro at second base. And Toro has positional flexibility. That's also something I tried to get in uh, in these leagues. Third base, Manny Machado, and the bringer of rain, Josh Donaldson. <laughs> Shortstop, I have Carlos Correa. I have uh, a ridiculous outfield. I, I'm so happy with my outfield in this league. So I drafted sixth. And Juan Soto fell to sixth. I could not believe it. So I was like, hell yes, I'm picking Juan Soto. And I also picked up George Springer, Grisham, Adolis Garcia, Grossman, Avisail Garcia, Max Kepler, and then kind of a dart throw for Connor Joe. That's a guy that probably is on the on the chopping block early for, for some relievers. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting pitching, Sandy Alcantara, Joe Musgrove, Shane McClanahan, got my guys, Tyler Molly, and late I got Eric Lauer and Adrian Hauser, who I think are getting slept on real hard because, mm-hmm. you know, they're in the same rotation as Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, and Brandon Woodruff. Yeah. That rotation is dirty. It is. And then the only like for sure I think closer I got is Mark Melanson and Cole Sulcer I drafted hoping he would be the the one of the guys in Baltimore and of course they traded him to Miami so uh, you know he's a guy that's going to get cut Kyle Finnegan Dylan Floro you know I waited on I waited on relief pitching in in basically every league because I just want to see how things shake out mm-hmm. and so that's my team in a 12-team league, uh, in, in a 12-team Roto League, I also did a 15-team Roto League. And that's so that's the TGFBI League. Yeah. And that's 15 teams, and it's Roto, and it's weekly. So I have lots of crossover players, Correa, Arenado, Springer, Renfro, Toro. I have Wong on two teams. Alcantara, I love Di Sclafani, drafted Di Sclafani, Loisiga, uh, Kyle Finnegan, right? A lot of, a lot of crossover with my other leagues. I got Trey in this league, which I'm really happy about. Somebody, this was before the Tatis news, and mm. I was picking second, and the guy in front of me picked Tatis. <laughs> and I got Trey. It was and meant to be. I was, I was... I think I might have. I think I might have texted you. Like, I'm in this yeah. league, and I think Trey is going first. What do I do next? And like the basically, you're you're picking Tatis second. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. But thank thank goodness, <laughs> <laughs> it just like totally worked out. Yeah. And then Grandal, I picked in this league and got Jan Gomes. Because I think at some point they're trading Contreras. You, you have to imagine the Cubs are going to do that because they're not going to be very good. Yeah. I got my boy Joey Votto at first base. And I also have him in another league. Hanniger, who you love. Yeah. I think Lane Thomas is going to have a really good season, partially because he's doing well in the spring, but also partially because Victor Robles is like horrible. He's having a horrible. He's not a spring. good baseball player. He's actually. bad at baseball. He's bad at yeah. baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day who was like, maybe he still has it. Maybe, maybe he's gonna come around. No, buddy, he's not. He's not coming around. He's not good at baseball. No. Was it was it plans? 
No, it was, I think it was Justin. Yeah, Flans though would have. No, I think Flans is smart enough now. He knows. He knows what's going on. He's got to give up. <laughs> I also, so again, this is a league that you know values um, stats across the board. So I picked up Michael A. Taylor late. He, you know, he did pretty good last season. Had like two forty last season. <laughs> Could go twenty twenty. I think it's a good dart throw late. Austin Hayes, and and this is a fifteen team league, so we're, yeah, we're drafting four hundred and fifty players. Yeah, um, I'm really happy with starting pitching for for this league. Julio Urias, Luis Garcia, Tanner Houck. Uh, I'm I'm pretty happy as as like a start to to my starting pitching there, and you know this is my first first time in a league this big your your uh 12 team league that we're in that was my first time in a 12 team league <laughs> so i you know i feel like i drafted a good team all in all and then i'm also in an eight team keeper head-to-head categories league this is my version of your league this where your league, right? me yeah. and my me and me and uh buddy my buddies have been doing this for 11 or 12 years and so we we've increased up to four keepers so i kept trey bichette tucker and scherzer and again you know tons of crossover like i i have my guys for sure vado mm. tyler o'neill springer <laughs> renfro adolis garcia jazz donaldson france mcclanahan di sclafani but this you know we've talked about strategy my strategy changes in this league too and it's not the size it's the format because head to head categories league i want i want i want to win at least three it's five by five so i want to win at least three hitting categories and at least three pitching categories every week Mm so i tend to always lean runs home runs rbi Mm -hmm. as, as and i i'm totally fine with sacrificing batting average like while we're in the draft we're zooming and and i'm watching like my team batting average just like tick 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 down (laughs) and and i was i was in first with my batting average at one point and i was like this isn't right this doesn't feel right (laughs) Uh, and i i try to get enough steals to like compete there just in case but really i'm looking at like home guys that hit home runs because if you hit home runs, you tend to score runs and RBI too. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I go in, I kind of change it every year, depending, depending on how the draft shakes out. So I'll either go starting pitching and try to get like high strikeout, high quality start, low ERA starting pitchers and kind of punt saves, Mm -hmm. or I'll go in, and go for like five of the top 12 relievers and work ratios yeah this time I ended up with like nine starting pitchers and zero relief pitchers so that's how that worked out Um, I I rounded out that team with Riley Walsh Ian Happ and I love I love my pitching staff Freddie Peralta Logan Webb Frankie Montas Nate Evaldi Shane Baz, who I'll throw on the IL and maybe pick up a reliever, and uh, Alex Cobb. So I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good across the board. I love my yeah. drafts. Yeah, 
I drafted Bobby Dalbach, and I don't know why. <laughs> what is like <laughs> opportunity? That's you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they apparently signed Travis Shaw, which I completely missed that. Um, and Casas is not knocking on the door there, so it, it's uh, you know a lot of stuff to be hashed out here. We're we'll all figure it out. Yeah, um, and and you know, big news. There's so many rookies so many prospects that are going to start the season in the majors. Julio Rodriguez just got announced. Very cool. um, probably, you know, Bryson Stott is, is on the, on the cusp. He's maybe, good. maybe, maybe CJ Abrams. Yeah. Abrams still has, he's still on the team right now. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. I mean, he's, I, I might be a little sick about that, but uh, Bobby Witt, like there, it, it's nice to see teams finally like, doing this like and and yeah, this is exactly well, what i thought would happen right they incentivize they incentivize teams by giving them draft picks if they have a rookie of the year candidate or you get mm-hmm. this many votes you know your top two in these awards mm-hmm. so we'll see yeah Fair all cool. right up next we're going to share an interview with pirates reporter alan saunders just as a disclaimer this interview was from maybe like three weeks ago. So some news may have changed a little bit in regards to maybe O'Neill Cruz. That interview is coming up right after a word from our sponsor. We'd like to welcome Alan Saunders to the podcast. Alan covers multiple sports for pittsburghsportsnow.com and covers pirates for the AP and for piratesprospects.com. You can find his articles there. You can follow him on Twitter at a Saunders underscore PGH. Alan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me. So I would like to start by asking you about O'Neill Cruz, who I'm assuming is going to be starting somewhere in the infield at, at the beginning of the season or towards the beginning of the season. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but what sort of expectations should we have for him production wise a a lot of projections have him like a wide range you know 14 home runs to 23 home runs nine stolen bases to 20 stolen bases what do you think is like realistic for him well I would say right now I mean it's really hard to say because I don't know what is going to happen like one of the major sticking points the CBA negotiations is service time manipulation if that does not get fixed, there is no chance that O'Neill Cruz will start the season. Wow. None. There will be better odds of me starting for the Pirates than him. Um, so they will keep him down as long as there is any reason for them to do so. Whether that's a year of control, whether that's Super 2 financial concerns, whatever, because this team is going nowhere, so there is no reason at all for them to – to lose any future value out of any prospect to have them in Pittsburgh this season. Um, so uh, under the old rules, I would say he would not be up here until the super two deadline. I don't know what is going to happen uh, after that. And as far as his uh, uh, projection for him, once he gets to the majors, um, he is a very, very toolsy player. He's the kind of guy where you go and you like watch some clips on you know, YouTube or you, you like catch a random game on, on, 
uh, the, you know, the MILB. And you're like, wow, this guy is something. And then sometimes you kind of look at the stats and the aggregate. And it's like, well, what am I missing? Where is the is is the? And I think it's mostly just consistency and, and like things like, um, you know, having like a proper approach uh, for every at bat and and really like knowing what pitchers are going to attack you with. I, I don't feel like he is like super advanced and maybe that part of his mm-hmm. game where mm-hmm. like, he's just kind of a guy that grabs a bat out of the bat rack and goes up there and swings it. And for the most part, that's really worked for him. I, I kind of feel like my prediction for him was that he'd be one of these guys that's going to come up in June and have this like rookie season where everyone's like, Oh, this guy. And then the next May we're all going to be talking about, Oh, why is O'Neill Cruz only hitting 265? And it's because like, he's not a finished product yet. And I do think that he is going to be the type of prospect where as the league figures him out a little bit, there is going to be some growing pains in his progression from the minors to the majors. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, obviously he's just loaded with talent and six foot seven. And it's like a total dream prospect to have, you know, particularly for, you know, this organization who, uh, you know, I don't want to speak ill of, of the organization here, but you know, it's, it's woeful, <laughs> you know, uh, but to, to be able to have this guy on the roster, like, you know, kind of feel like this, the sky's the limit here. Um, which is the way about this other guy I want to talk about, uh, Brian Hayes, uh, you know, he had such a great sort of start to things in the beginning of his career and everybody going into last season really held him in pretty high regard. Uh, and then unfortunately he had the injury, uh, like two or three games into the season. And ultimately it's a pretty me- mediocre, if not disappointing year for him. Um, so I was hoping maybe you could shed a little light on his health. Like, where is he? Uh, with the hands, uh, if he ends up going into spring training, whenever the heck that happens, um, you know, where does he hit in the lineup? And and do you think he kind of get the 20 home runs? Could he be yeah. like a 20 guy? Yeah. I mean, I think that the wrist injury really bothered him really all last year. I, I don't think he was ever really fully healthy. And, um, you know, I, I'm just not sure like that he's the power guy there like i see him as more of like to me when i look at his season last year the thing that looks wrong to me is 257 batting average not mm-hmm. what do you have six home runs seven up some of the, like yeah. like that to me feels more like i think he should be an over 300 hitter with his eye hand coordination he's just got such a smooth swing um he has a really fast bat like he can doesn't have problems with off-speed pitches so like i think he should be able to hit for a way higher batting average than he did last year i am not sure that right now at this point in his career um he's gonna be like a 2025 home run guy i'm just not sure that that he he's not he's not a very big dude especially for a third baseman uh he could put some weight and some muscle on as he gets older and matures and maybe turn into that guy. I kind of think back to the progression of like an Andrew McCutcheon, who, when he first came into the league was this really skinny slender dude that then did kind of um, fill out a little bit and was able to tap into some power a little bit more. I think that's maybe more like 
what Wicked Brian Hayes is all about. I, I also think a really underrated part of his value is his defense. He's a really, really strong defender at third base. He's good on the base pass. Um, I He's a top three spots in the batting order guy for me. Hmm. Um, he could – I think ideally he's honestly like a one or a two kind of guy with, with his, with his bat to ball skills. Um, but they haven't had anyone with any power to put behind him in sort of a traditional batting order. So uh, I guess it, the right answer is he should probably lead off because he's probably their best player. Uh, and it's not like his skill set is totally a, a, just a terrible fit for that position in the batting order. So that would be my answer. I'm not sure what, what the pirates are going to do. Yeah. One of the other kind of bright stars for the team is uh, to me is Brian Reynolds. Is he one of the most underrated players in baseball? He had his second season out of three where he batted 300 last season. He hit 24 home runs, had 90 runs and, 90 RBI and uh, you know over 90 RBI and you just think like if he plays on another team he's a star but he plays in Pittsburgh yeah I mean he kind of is a star right I mean he's certainly uh, approaching that realm anyway even being in Pittsburgh and I mean I think you know we talked about Andrew McCutcheon you can certainly be a star in Pittsburgh um, even even with a bad Pirates team and most of his early uh, Pirates teams were were pretty bad. Um, you know, I, the big thing with with Reynolds is to me that the thing that has made his career is not even um, the offense. It's that he's doing it while playing pretty good center field, which makes his value so much greater. If he was if he was a corner outfielder, I mean, he would be a good right fielder or left fielder, but, you know, his numbers would be more in line with what we expect from, you know, upper level starters at that position. But then when you, and when he came up from the minors, his defense was questionable, even, even as a left fielder, he's really made significant strides to make his defense um, and to improve his defense to the point where now he's playing pretty good. I mean, I think he still had like negative, defensive uh, war if you look at like fan graphs or whatever as a center fielder but I mean it's 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 gone a long way from where he started and now like he's a playable center fielder every single day for just about every team and that makes that offensive production worth so much more and I think that's in the power like I mean 24 home runs I don't know if that's going to be an every year thing that's kind of an aberration if you look at his history um, but even if even if he's not at that level, I mean, I th- he's he's fast enough that I think he's going to hit for a high average. Is pretty good on base percentage throughout his career. Like even if he's more like of a fifteen to twenty home run guy than like twenty five to thirty, the fact he's playing good center field it makes him such a valuable player. And I think that's why people are talking about whether the Pirates are going to keep him because he is the kind of player that um, you know a contender would want and would mm-hmm. be an upgrade. I mean, there are not that many center fielders in the league that a team would be like, well, I have this guy, so I don't want Brian Reynolds, right? Like they could really have someone have to bid a lot to get him in a trade and could really set up their future. I think it depends on how far down the road Ben Charrington sees this rebuild coming to fruition, right? Is it one or two years away? Okay, well, then you probably want Brian Reynolds around for it. Is it three or four years away? Well, then maybe you'd rather have uh, some sort of massive – 
uh, haul of, of, of prospects and young players in return. <clears throat> Changing gears a little bit here. Um, you know, in, in terms of fantasy, the closer is always such a vital and important thing in a, in a league. Um, it seems like in Pittsburgh uh, that it's a kind of a, a debate between uh, David Bednar and Chris Stratton. Um, is there anybody else in that bullpen that can kind of emerge and kind of grab the bull by the horns and seize the opportunity in your opinion? Um, not as it stands right now. I expect that to be a place where they add to this team. If we ever get to, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen between like the, the day the CBA is signed, but like they've had a lot of success in the past where they'll go out and add two to three veteran relievers to this bullpen looking to showcase them for a trade later in the year, to try to get some prospects back. And the best way to do that is to go rack up a bunch of saves, right? That is what will draw people's attention. Um, David Bednar was fine in that role uh, the second half of last season after they traded uh, Richard Rodriguez. I, you know, I, I think he would do okay there, but he's not the guy with the kind of pedigree where it would be some kind of like issue. If he went to the eighth inning and they brought in some veteran that they're looking to showcase, I think that's probably um, the, the route they would take uh, internally. Uh, Blake Cedarland is a guy who throws really hard. I think is a, maybe like a potential future Back-end guy um, was a young player, uh, had some injury issues, kind of like disrupted his um, you know, transition from AAA to the majors. That's a guy that maybe like to watch for if they were to do something different down the road. But I think it's probably Bednar or they'll go out and find somebody uh, to fill that role for the first half of the season. So our last question we have for you is about Pirates prospects. And so we want to get your take on a few, whether you think we see them this year or not, when we see them, expectations, that sort of thing. And then if I'm missing anyone that you think like you need to know this name for this season, you know, let us know. And when I was looking through, what I was seeing was a lot of the Pirates top prospects had already gotten called up or are way down, you know, in, in high A or, or, or something like that. Um, so I want to get your take on a few anyways, um, even if they might be, you know, a, a few years away. Um, so I wanted to ask about Quinn Priester, Nick Gonzalez, and Henry Davis. Yeah, well, we haven't seen really any of Henry Davis. He was the first round pick last year was, um, you know, he, the, the question with him is whether he'll be a catcher, I think, you know, he's, it's so hard to tell, you know, a player coming out of college um, it's, it's difficult to, to project those skills. I think uh, it's really a different game, but I think, you know, he's probably, you know, a year or two away. I would not expect to see him this year, although he, you know, he is their top prospect and he is an older guy. He's already 22 kind of going into his first real, uh, season of minor league baseball. So um, it wouldn't be like crazy to you know, have him on some kind of really fast promotion trajectory, um, especially if he's not going to catch, because I think his bat is really advanced. <laughs> I don't think he really has a lot of work to do there. I think most of the question is like, oh, so we're going to have universal DH this year. 
I mean, it wouldn't be insane to me to like see him in September, like try that out and see how it goes. If he's going to be a catcher, he's going to need some work. It's, it's going to be some time. And so uh, again, I don't get the sense that this team is in a rush with any of their prospects. And so they've had some, they've called some guys up just to see, you know, like you said, like most of these guys have, have at least gotten a look and like, Hey, what do, what do they look like in the majors? Let's put them in some circumstances, but I don't get the feeling that they're really rushing for anything. So, I mean, I, I think all three of these guys you asked about are probably like at the very earliest this September, but more likely looking at next year debuts. Um, Nick Gonzalez is a, Second baseman probably um, can move him around the infield a little bit. Has got some position versatility. Um, is a kind of guy that you could see um, like working his way into the majors in a bench role. He's got a great bat. Uh, it's not a lot of power, um, but you know, for a second baseman, it's it's pretty usable um, power for, for the position. And another guy who's a little bit older. And, and if they were trying to be aggressive, would not be crazy to me uh, to see him move up. He's really, to me, like a really like one big tool. It's just a hit tool. Like it's really stands out. Um, not really anything, you know, exceptional anywhere else. Uh, but, you know, so to me, more of like a complimentary player. If you f- could kind of dream on, you know, an infield where you've got uh, Brian Hayes and, and, <laughs> Uh, O'Neill Cruz on the other side, well, then like a Nick Gonzalez type feels like it fits in pretty good there at second base, um, but not the kind of player that, you know, you're going to like build a, a franchise around or anything like that. Adam Frazier, who just filled that role for the, for the Pirates of the last few years, feels like a, a pretty fair um, um, comparison to me. Quinn Priester is very interesting. Um, he was, you know, a first round pick in 2019 he came from uh, the Chicago area, which if you like really are into the MLB draft, like Northern prep pitchers are not really a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Most of those guys go way later because they don't get the number of innings that um, guys that can play baseball year round do. And so it was this sort of like weird uh, well, uh, he's inexperienced and needs work, but also has low miles on his arm, which is something that in the age of Tommy John, everyone is very concerned about. So uh, they're working with him. You know, I think his, his fastball and curveball are major league pitches. I'm not sure there's a third one there that you could say right now is like definitely like, is it going to be a slider? Is it going to be a changeup? He has thrown them both. They're not great. Like, to me, that's the thing that, is keeping him from moving up faster is that like whether there's a third pitch, you know, and then what is his top upside? Because I think that it was a tall guy, fastball curveball combination looks good, but like without a third pitch, that's probably more like a number three starter or like back into the bullpen guy, as opposed to like a top dominant ACE type to me. So I think it's a question of how good he can be. There, there's a there's a pretty big, very you know, like high delta guy. Like could could be really good, could be just a bullpen guy. I don't know. Um, and, and I think he of these three guys that you named has the most work to do still in the minors, um, just because he did come into uh, the system as as a really uh, you know not only his age but also just an 
a baseball inexperienced player. And so I, I think that makes a big difference for him compared to the two college guys in Davis and Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Um, you asked about some other guys that, that I just kind of, you know, looking around their system, um, especially as far as like guys for this year, Ronzi Contreras is a pitcher that I expect to pitch in the majors this year. Um, he is, uh, you know, he's, he had a really strong minor league year last year after not getting the, you know, the, the COVID year, um, whatever. And so, you know, I think, I think he's a guy, he came over from the Yankees. I think it was the, was that the Tyone trade? I'm pretty sure. And, uh, you know, he, he was an, he's an exciting pitcher. I think you can kind of look at his, uh, his strikeout numbers and think, uh, you know, he was somewhere around 15 strikeouts per nine innings, uh, in in the minors last year. Like that's, that's solid. And I think he's the kind of guy that needs work at the major league level, as opposed to like, like he's dominated, uh, his, minor league competition in a way that a lot of their other like statistically a lot of the other prospects haven't so to me he's a guy where like okay maybe we're not in a rush but the best thing for him to develop next needs to be facing major league hitters to me and so i expect him to be a part of this uh this major league rotation even though he does have options he's only 22 he certainly could go down and they, they could manipulate service time whatever uh, i i kind of get the feeling that he is a player that that could be a part of the rotation this year. Well, Alan, thank you very much for joining us, sharing your insight and your knowledge on the Pirates. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks a lot, Alan. Thanks for having me. Make sure to tune in over the next few weeks as we talk with uh, one more beat reporter for the White Sox Uh, That's Scott Merkin. You won't want to miss it as the season gets started. So make sure you you subscribe and tune in so you're notified. When that episode publishes, it's going to be the last one. And we're going to have real deal baseball. So we're really excited. In the meantime, you can tweet us at FastballPod. Reach out to us on Instagram at FastballFantasyBaseball or email us at FastballFantasyBaseball at gmail.com. We'll respond to your questions, drop ads, start sit, anything like that. Finally, please give the show a five-star rating. Each high rating helps move this podcast up the list on all the podcast platforms when people search for fantasy baseball. So it's something that really helps us out. And Thanks for listening.